You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, featuring the top interviews from this past week's show with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn. Hello and welcome to This Week on NFL No Huddle as we take you back through the week that was on our program. In this episode, Cordell and I will focus on the divisional round of the playoffs with a number of former players, starting with the Hall of Famer, Jerome Bettis. Jerome, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been a while. How are you? I am doing great. How you? How you doing? We're doing good, Jerome. Glad we were capable of finding your representative to get in touch with you because you've been missing. Where you been, man? You've been working on your golf game. I know. I'm just surprised you guys still on the air. I thought, um, <laughs> well, Jerome, I'm not going anywhere. So you got to revise that opinion, all right? Now. You know what, man? You can go back to your representative and go to sleep because you sound like you're snoring. How about that one? Hey, GP, we were we were looking for you on ESPN. What time is that show on? I was snoring listening to um, Cordell. <laughs> man, good to have you on, baby. Good to have you on as usual. You know that. Um, Going into Pittsburgh, uh, the last game they played against, uh, the last time they played against the Jacksonville Jaguars was in, in October. And, and remembering that game, it wasn't pretty when it came to the offensive side of football, five interceptions. And we saw one of the people that he, we saw one of the actual stations that Ben Roethlisberger talked to. And I think they baited him to saying that he wanted to play the Jacksonville Jaguars again. How do you think the outcome would be this time in a sense of how he plays individually? I think he, he's going to play much better in division. I think, you know, he played probably his worst game as a pro. Uh, and I don't see him following that up with another terrible game. I see because of uh, the team that he has and the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars offensively don't look like they're going to be a significant threat, it changes the game plan on how you play them a second time around. You don't have to throw it as much as you probably did the first time around, or and you're not dependent on Antonio Brown as much as he was, Ben was earlier in the year. Um, because of uh, Antonio Brown's injury, it's actually helped him uh, you know, kind of survey the field much more and be a better quarterback. So I think they'll see a totally different Ben Roethlisberger this next game as opposed to when he, when they played him early in the year. Always a pleasure to chat with Jerome Bettis. He's our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's say the Steelers win the Super Bowl next month in Minnesota. Could you envision Ben Roethlisberger retiring after the game? I could envision it. Uh, I think it's possible, not probable. Uh, the reason being, you know, he has the ability to, you know, if, if they can – get Le'Veon Bell figured out at least one more year with the entire group uh, together. So I, I just don't see him walking away when he looks at the, uh, the climate, looks at, look at his team, and he says, hey, we can do this uh, one more time. So I, will he walk away? I don't think so. We know Antonio Brown has been the, the face of this receiving core. Now, let's just say the even the energy on that side of the football. But look at this kid in Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, he's come in and he's much bigger. Uh, he has the same type of flair, so to speak. How big of a lightning rod has he been for this offense? I think he's been huge because the question mark was always that, that second receiver. Who's going to be opposite Antonio Brown? Who's going to be able to get the job done? And what's happened is... I think um, Martavis Bryant coming back has been really beneficial for Juju because what happens is now you put 
Martavis Bryant, although he was rusty a, a lot early in the season, you still had to respect him, which left that slot area very, very weak. And when Juju uh, was able to step in, really good route runner, really good hands, great size, and pretty good speed. Uh, you factor all that in, you put him in that position. With those two guys outside, it forces teams to have to kind of play those, those safeties a little wider, which leaves the middle of the field open. And uh, Juju has been able to optimize you know, every opportunity he's gotten. I mean, he's, he's been electric. Uh, when he's gotten the football in his hand. So I just think the Steelers are going to you know, try, and, try to find more ways to get him the football. But you know, having Antonio Brown uh, outside of him doesn't hurt. Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis is our guest on the NFL on tune. And Jerome, what do you make of the James Harrison situation since the Steelers cut him after all? Was there anything wrong with him going to the Patriots? Nah, not at all. Ultimately, you know, he wanted to play. Um, they weren't going to give him an opportunity to play. You know, week fifteen, week sixteen. So you got to ask yourself at the end, at the you know, they cut you at at the end of week fifteen. Where where do you go? Where you have an opportunity to play more than one game. You got to go to a playoff contender. The only one that really needed his services was the Patriots. So yeah, it's not the best place to go. And obviously, because of the rivalry, you know, a lot of people were very upset about that. But but at the end of the day. You know, he still wants to play football, and, uh, you know, you got to give him that opportunity. When you look around the National Football League, the teams that's having success, uh, you find out that the quarterback and whether it be the head coach or the offensive coordinator has a good quality control as far as the, the chemistry is concerned. Uh, give me the, from the outside looking in, give me your honest opinion on Todd Haley and Ben Roethlisberger's relationship. Is it one – uh, that is good, and it just sounds like it's optics and conversations on the outside, or is there some truth to it that they don't really see eye to eye and there's some button heads every once in a while? I think I think it's it's a little bit of both. I think they, they have a, a pretty good working relationship, uh, but there is some, some head butting from time to time, uh, whether it's uh, you know on Ben's side or whether it's on, uh, on Haley's side. I mean, it goes both ways. Uh, so I think it's a little bit of both, but I, I think for the most part they they do a great job of uh, working together. Uh, I just think that you know at some point uh, it can become a little thorny, but uh, never to the point where it affects the the team or the or you know Ben's game. Jerome as one of the greatest running backs in the history of the league and a former LA Ram. What'd you take away from Todd Gurley's season? Do you think he is the league MVP? I, I thought he had a, a MVP worthy uh, year, no doubt about it. If you take him off of that Los Angeles Rams team, uh, they don't have a chance. Uh, you know, and so you look at him and look what he was able to accomplish running the ball and receiving the ball. He was um, pretty spectacular this season. Jerome, always outstanding to chat with you. Just like you, I'm amazed this show is still on the air. Believe it or not, they're letting us go back to the Super Bowl, so we hope to say hello in person when we get to Minnesota. I'm just going to tell you, you might want to hook your hook hook up with another horse. I'm telling you, be careful. <laughs> I'm hey, just man, playing, I just want to know. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Cordell has been a, a true friend of mine for, I mean, almost 20 years. Uh, so he is um, definitely a, a really good friend. I joke with him um, because I know he can take it, but uh, he's been a great friend. 
I just want to know something, man. You know, when it comes to your golf game, is it durable? Is it available? Is it getting any better since you said this in the last thing he, about Frank he, Gore? He should have He should have left it. To, he, we should have ended the conversation right there. <laughs> and then I know, Jerome. Yep. But now he's going right to the toilet. Hey, Jerome, bye, man. Hey, man, you sound like you got to go back to sleep. Just go to sleep, man. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jerome. You don't Jerome. Like you're going to work, so I can't say go back to work. It would be the first time either one of us worked. We'll see you in Minnesota. Thank you, Jerome. <laughs> hey, take care. See you guys later. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Hollywood Earth. and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites. We've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle, taking you across the league with Charles Davis of NFL Network and Fox Sports. Charles Davis, CD, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year, guys. Hope you're doing well. We are doing well, and we appreciate you coming back on the show. Let's start with the Saints. They won even though the Carolina defense played well against the run game. So as we look forward to what's coming up this weekend, how do you see the matchup of Kamara and Ingram against a very tough Minnesota defense? Well, look, you know Mike Zimmer, defense coordinator, is the head coach. We know that, right? But the defensive coordinator in him has got to be paramount in this game. And Zim's always relished these types of opportunities. I had them earlier this year, and they were getting ready to play Atlanta, in Atlanta. And it was the week after Julio Jones absolutely decimated Tampa Bay. What do you have, uh, 253 yards, two touchdowns, you know, double-digit catches, the whole deal. And so I asked him, I said, Zim, you know, look, this may be, you know, one of those crazy questions about that really doesn't have an answer, but, you know, what do you do to try and defend Julio Jones? I mean, seriously, this guy's secretariat. And he goes, look, uh, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, you know, uh, hmm. And you know how blunt Zim is, right? And he goes, well, let's just say we expect to defend him a tad differently than Tampa Bay did. And what he was saying is, I don't want to criticize anyone, but I can't believe they defended him that way. Well, in their game, Julio caught two passes. So for all that talk about Bill Belichick being that guy that takes away what you do best and takes away what teams do, everyone tries to do that. Mike Zimmer does it better than others. So with Kamara and Ingram, it's not just the run game. It's what do you do when they decide to use Kamara as a receiver? And I thought against Atlanta when I had New Orleans the last time, Kamara got really favorable matchups, especially against the safety count O'Neal. They took advantage of them until they didn't need it anymore. Who's going to be that matchup now when they get Kamara out in the coverage? Is Harrison Smith the guy? He's normally a box safety. 
You know, is it going to be a linebacker who can run? Is it going to be an Anthony Barr? That seems like a mismatch for Kamara in his favor. Are they able to bring in an extra defensive back and keep him on the field and maybe run with five or six for most of the game? Remains to be seen. But I, I like the matchup. It's in Minnesota. And if Case Keenum keeps playing at the level he's played, I think Minnesota has an advantage in this game at home. That's my guy. You know, Charles, every time you come on this show, you enlighten this show tremendously when it comes down to talking about Case Keenum. And, and here's the thing uh, that I like most about this matchup is while some are giving the edge, of course, to Drew Brees, which deservingly so because of everything that he's accomplished and the experience he has in the postseason, one component, I think, to Case Keenum that no one talks about enough is his elusiveness in the pocket and finding a soft spot to be able to deliver the football the way he needs to accurately. Will that be a big part of because Cameron Jordan, the way we've seen him play over the past few weeks, he can be a mess maker in the backfield of an offense. Do you see that being a big part of why this team could have some success with Case Keenum moving around? Yeah, I do, Cordell. And, you know, I think that what happens, and and at the risk of me sounding like I'm pandering, for you as as a quarterback who had movement skills, I think sometimes it became overblown and we were saying runner versus quarterback. Right. People always fail to fail to get and and you know, and listen, I'm in the media myself so I have to count myself in that. We gotta make sure we get it right. It's those skills that you're talking about, movement skills. Does it buy you extra time? Does it move do you have that little depth slide step to your left or your right to evade a rusher? and or find an open lane and sight lines downfield without actually turning into quarterback run game or taking off and escaping the pocket to run? Do you escape the pocket to extend the play and find someone downfield? I think that's what you're alluding to with Case Keenum, and it's been an underrated aspect of his game. And in fact, Mike Zimmer probably around game 13 or 14 of this season said, that was the most underrated part of his game. He said that he missed in evaluating him before they took him on as a free agent, that he didn't really give it enough credence about his movement skills because that's been a big part of what they've done. And Pat Shermer, the offense coordinator, has geared the offense to take care of that for him, to put that in there and to make sure that that's a part of what they do because the first game those guys played with New Orleans in the season opener on Monday Night Football, Sam Bradford wrecked them from the pocket. I mean, he had a monster night, put up big numbers. I think that Thielen had 100 yards. I think that uh, Stephon um, uh, Diggs had 100 yards. I mean, they just absolutely destroyed them, but not because of movement skills, not because of Sam Bradford's elusiveness. They've had to go in a different direction with Keenum, and it's worked very well for them. So I think that that's going to be a part of it because you mentioned him. I mean, Cameron Jordan off the edge plays the run and the pass equally well. And you heard what he said about Matt Khalil, called him Speed Bump McGee. Right. Well, that's getting a lot of attention because it's the playoffs. He said that to me weeks ago. He said, I treat all left tackles as a speed bump or all right tackles. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I come from either side. They're all speed bumps to me because he has this extreme confidence. Well, we'll see about the movement skills of Keenum because I have seen, and I'll stop here, I have seen Minnesota not block people deliberately and tell Case Keenum to take care of it by himself in the pocket, that you make the movement and the movement skills in order to keep this play alive. And if we don't block that guy, I get an extra blocker downfield when I throw either the screen game or the quick game so I can get a guy downfield. And I've seen it work for them throughout the season. 
We'll see how Keenum does in a high-leverage situation on Sunday, taking you across the league with Charles Davis. Charles Rams, undeniably one of the best regular season stories in all of football, but how much do you think they're impacted by a lack of postseason experience losing to Atlanta, or was that another media narrative? I think it's part of it. I don't think there's any way you get around it, Brian. I think it is It is a part. And let's face it, maybe we as a media didn't give enough credence to the fact that Atlanta was the only team in the playoffs this year that wasn't in it last year. And I think that by them finding a way in, you know, my partner on, on our games, Kevin Burkhardt, said about a month ago, he said, you know something? The Falcons remind me a little bit of the Cubs of last year, meaning – the Cubs win the, win the World Series, and then the next year is just a slog, wasn't it? They got back to the playoffs, but, boy, it was difficult for them all the way through. Well, the Falcons went through the same thing this year. But it almost felt like to me Saturday night that the Falcons actually, by getting in, is almost like they exhaled and found strength again. And they really carried it to them. So to me, yes, the experience and inexperience, that was part of it. But even bigger to me was Atlanta seemed to have their legs under them. Had their, had their breath. They didn't have to worry about getting there anymore. They were back in a, in a place that was somewhat familiar. And the flip side is, I wonder if Sean McVay, in reviewing it, I'd love to ask him, I'll probably ask him in the off season. did he feel like he pressed Todd Gurley enough in the running game, or did he get away from it too fast? Let's go to the Jacksonville game. Um, I mean, this is a team that I think that no one truly wants to see uh, in the playoffs in the AFC just because this defense has the mentality that they're going to be a great defense, but also if they have to be an offense, they can do the same. No noise about Blake Bortles and what, it, what his deficiencies are, but how do you explain only being able to have 87 points, uh, 87 yards thrown, and the team still ends up winning? Um, everything around you, because you mentioned the defense, Cordell, and that defense only gave up three points. I mean, they just played not above their heads. They played to, their, to the extent of their capabilities, it felt like, which, which are considerable. It's a very good defense I've been all year long. They're number two defense in the league behind Minnesota. So they played to that and were able to get around it. I also thought that while Blake Bortles only threw for 87 yards, I thought he did an excellent job with his legs to run for first downs, to run for key yardage, to not make the throw downfield that got them killed instead which has been part of his bugaboo throughout his career. So he ran for 88. And, yeah, it leads us to a lot of, wow, what are they going to do in Pittsburgh? But a quarterback's number one job is to find a way to win. And he did that. Now, they're going to need to do considerably more in Pittsburgh because Ben Roethlisberger is not going to throw five, five picks this time, right? I don't see Leonard Fournette getting 181 yards this time. So they're going to have to go to other things, and I do think that Blake Bortles got to hit some throws because I thought he was, you know, he was extremely inaccurate. It wasn't just one receiver's dropping it. He was really inaccurate in this game. But I will say this. I'm old enough to remember that Bob Greasy game against Oakland <laughs> where he threw for, what, 30-something? Mm-hmm. Ran for whatever. I think it ran for 39, threw for 34. I mean, it was some incredibly small number. And that was back when they had Zonka and Kick and Mercury Morris, and they found a way to beat Oakland. So the anomalies are out there, and Blake Bortles was part of that on Saturday. Charles, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the postseason. Hope to see you in person when we get to Radio Row in the Super Bowl coverage coming up in Minnesota. Look forward to it. You guys take care of yourselves, okay? You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. 
Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wonder. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on This Week on NFL No Huddle, let's welcome in former Falcons fullback Ovi Maheli. Let's start with defense because as we watch this team close out the regular season, how much credit do they deserve for how they played in the month of December and then kept it going, containing the Rams' high-powered offense on Saturday night? They deserve a lot of credit. Like I, I've been someone who's really excited about watching the Falcons turn into the Seahawks, not just the Seahawks, but the championship version of the Seahawks. So we go on championships here. But knowing that Dan Quinn had a, uh, a significant defensive background, having our defense be the quote-unquote deficiency of our team was a good thing for us because he's going to get it right eventually. The way Deion Jones is playing, the way that True Fawn and you know, both our corners, all for that True Fawn are playing, is something that Falcons fans should look forward to because we just have, you know, you know the sky's the limit. Matt Ryan didn't have MVP numbers this year, but he's still an MVP and can pull out that performance anytime we need to. So we're in a good spot. Ovi, no one knows, but you and I had an opportunity to spend some time together in Baltimore. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, Mr. Stewart. It's uh, good, to, good to hear from you, man. Yeah, we had a good time working together. Had uh, yes, that chance uh, at the Super Bowl when uh, me and Randy Jackson was doing a stand-out contest. I was hoping he was going to back me up if he tried to put me in a chokehold. <laughs> hey, man, some of those fights you have to be on your own. But let's just think about <laughs> this fight uh, that the Falcons are having, uh, I think, with being inconsistent. Uh, when you think of what they've been able to do, yes, they have moments in time when Vic Beasley were out. Uh, they would come in and, and try to find ways to get it done. True Font being out, they find ways to get it done. And But Matt Ryan, he's been a little inconsistent. Um, when you watch what they have to go up against going on the road in Philadelphia, uh, being that they're in their, their dome team, what do you think they're going to have to do in order to walk away with the victory coming out of Philadelphia? In order to get a win in Philadelphia, you're right. You know, they, they have been inconsistent. They haven't been as... Uh, uh, on point as they were last year, but it is a new coordinator, and it is uh, you know trying to get in the, on the same page and get in that same flow. If you notice with Shanahan's first year, Matt Ryan was wildly inconsistent to the point where they wanted to run Shanahan out down. But after a while, they got on the same page. I think the fact that you know inconsistency comes and goes, the way to kill all of that, and I'm a little biased because I'm a fullback slash running back, is to run the ball. You've got a beast in Freeman. You've got somebody in, in Coleman that can also, you know, go inside and outside. You have all types of ways to attack a defense on the ground. Why not use it? And once you soften them up, you know, as a quarterback, it makes it easier to get the play action throws in, gets it easier to pull, make, pull those linebackers up. So it, it's got a uh, complicated uh, um, formula to get us going right. Run the dark balls, run behind the fullback, you know, that's that. You'll have to, I think it helps remind the fullback and uh, get those uh, big chunks of plays, chunks of yards. Let's focus more on the quarterback position. 
year ago, Matt Ryan won the MVP award. This year, you know, he has been inconsistent. Where do you think he is at this stage of the season heading into the matchup on the road in Philadelphia this weekend? He's in a good spot. You know, Matt, uh, and those of us who've been in the huddle with Matt, I had a chance to play with uh, Matthew for five years. He's uh, competitive just just like anybody else. And he knows that it's going to be uh, uh, the best quarterback that wins and nothing against Nick Foles, but Matt Ryan's the best quarterback. He doesn't play like that. So going back to the office corner um, comment, every game that goes by, he gets in better sync with the office coordinator. He gets, he and Sarkeesian are, are you know, speaking the same language. They're able to uh, uh, understand what the other one is thinking. And give me, not that Matt doesn't have all the freedom in the world to make changes, but when Matt sees something and he'll go down to the sideline and have a conversation, you know, see, it's just, it's just that, you know, having that control, trying to say, you know, I think I see this, Matt Ryan thinks he sees that, but let Matt do what he thinks is best because, you know, he is our MVP quarterback. So I think Matt is thinking it exists like the whole team, but this game is going to come together because it has to. Ovi, I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm looking over some stuff. Uh, ESPN staff writer Vaughn McClure mentioned that uh, Matt Ryan didn't practice, and it wasn't because of injuries, but more for personal reasons. Uh, give me your take on if you know anything about that, and if there is something wrong where there's an issue as we move forward, how would Matt Schaub actually end up coming in uh, to actually fill in if needed, if something were to happen? Yeah, um, I do not know anything about that. But, you know, as you know, Cordell, it, it could be anything. And the personal reason could be absolutely anything. It could be anything. Uh, it could be something good, something bad, something in between. You never know. Uh, you know, his cat could have passed. You need to take a personal day. I, I have no idea. But uh, Matt's going to be ready. Uh, I've seen him not practice all week and go through walkthroughs and, and throw up 300 yards before. You know, when you got targets like Julio and Sanu, uh, it, it doesn't matter too much uh, how much uh, prep you get. Because these guys at this point, they're in sync. Now with Shaw, uh, Shaw's a, he's a, he's an old horse, you know, but the quarterbacks who are long in the tooth can still be good. Not as uh, mobile as, as you would like him to be, but with all the way all the lines are playing, the way that, you know, Jake Matthews and especially Alex Mack and, and all those boys, Schrader, have been protecting Matt Ryan. I think it's protect uh, uh, Matt Schaub just as well. And if he has time, smart quarterbacks don't need a big arm. You can be able to pick apart the defenses, find the zones, be able to throw DBs off your eyes, all the things you used to do. So uh, I'm confident in Schaub or, or Matty Ice to get the job done. Obi Mahaly is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. How would you evaluate Steve Sarkeesian overall year one as the Falcons play caller? Do you think he found his rhythm as the season progressed? He has. But he had a, uh, a losing battle because how in the heck do you beat number one in almost every gosh darn category uh, and an MVP performance? Like there, there's no way to uh, do better than that. So whatever he did was going to be wrong or was going to be less than uh, the number one. So Steve had to become his own person and find that healthy balance of trying to add on to what Matt was already doing but not change it too much to where he um, – kind of run a whole new system. And that's where ego comes in. It's all the NFL. It's the players and coaches. And so feeling like he's just taking somebody else's system and being handcuffed to it is something that not all coordinators can stomach. They sometimes want to put their own stamp on things and end up messing it up. But Steve was smart enough and, you know, and humble enough to say, I'm not changing what's worked for Matt Ryan. 
let me just add to it in, in my own personal way, which didn't look pretty at first. But now that the season's, uh, you know, near, well, the season's over, into the playoffs, you're seeing him do more in that positive realm. Last year, we had an opportunity, probably in the latter part of last season, uh, you end up seeing this Falcons team somewhat, but Dwight Freeney, obviously a part of it, he's not there now. But you saw this front four look as if they were running a 40-yard dash, dash, so to speak, kind of like having a track meet. I think they've kind of found that same recipe of playing ball again. This front four is really being able to collapse collapse the prop, the pocket and being a former quarterback, I hate when that happens because you have to step up and if you have someone mirroring you, it can be an issue. Is this the recipe and this is the time of the year and you think this team has really wanting to find a way to, to be hitting on all cylinders because that's what it looks like. They're running the football well. Defensively, they're playing great. Can they go back to the Super Bowl this year? Obi? You know, it's funny, and I, I'm obviously one of the biggest Falcons fans out there. Uh, I still live vicariously through uh, Julio and Matt and guys I played with. So I'm rooting for them, but I honestly did not think they would um, go far this year just because of the Super Bowl slump, just because just of the numbers. Very few teams can go back-to-back and, and do what uh, you know, a couple of uh, lucky teams have done. They had a long season. They had injuries. They had uh, some things that, you know, you felt that may not uh, give them the, the, the best chance. But they surprised everybody. I didn't think they were going to be, uh, be, be as good or, and, and uh, do this well. But their defensive line has been saving something. Because Vic Beasley is not the sack master he was last year. But yet, every game that they go deeper into the season, you see Adrian Claiborne causing the muck. You see uh, Grady Jarrett out there getting pushed from the middle, which, as you know, quarterbacks hate. And they're, they're starting to gel. Now, I won't go as far as they the New York Giants D-line that doesn't the Super Bowls, but they're starting to become a force, which is a good thing for us. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. We're joined by former Raiders offensive lineman Lincoln Kennedy. Link, thanks again for taking the time to join us today. How are you? Wonderful. Be well. Cordell, how are you guys doing, man? We are doing very well. We appreciate you being available. So take us back to your playing experience in Oakland when John Gruden was a young head coach. What were the qualities that made him so effective then? Well, back then, he had a very simplistic system. And I think Cordell might have played in that Pro Bowl he was coaching. Didn't you, Cordell? Did we yes, play together did. in that Pro Bowl? Yeah, we yeah, were together. You and I. System, very easy to understand and, and easy to manipulate and master. And, you know, for athletes, the, the best thing for them is that you you just have muscle memory and, and, and the less thinking you're doing out there, the more effective you are. So, you know, it was it was a, a way for me to actually propel my career in the next level and being all pro and stuff like that and playing under him. Very simple and easy, understandable system. 
Lincoln, when you think about the things that Keyshawn Johnson mentioned on there in L.A. on ESPN, saying that he's really intense and sometimes can be aggravating or things can become really frustrating, then you hear Rich Gannon when coming to do his interview to maybe be the quarterback's coach, he says he's a little too intense. How do you think that will help a Derek Carr to transcending into being a more consistent and efficient quarterback in the league? Oh, it won't help him. The intensity won't help him. I mean, the thing is, is that Derek Carr is cut from a different cloth. Derek Carr is a, a, a laid-back, low-key, you know, religious, family-oriented guy. Gruden can't take the same approach that he did back in the day against Rich Gannon or Jeff George or other quarterbacks that he coached and, and expect Derek to be effective. The way that he's going to be able to manage Derek Carr is, through, is just through utilizing Derek's abilities to make him more effective on the football field. That will get Derek Carr fired up. And that's also going to be you know, transcended from the quarterback coach, whoever decide to have the quarterback coach is going to be able to relay that. Gruden's one of these guys that um, what, he most has to, what he mostly has to do is learn how to manage today's personality, player personality. Guys like Derek Carr, guys like Khalil Mack, guys like Amari Cooper are very different, and it's very different than when he, when he first started because Gruden was committed to the craft. He spent countless hours at the facility trying to do the same thing with Rich Gannon and stuff like that, and Rich was a, an, an ultimate student. Rich was the first one to go and the last one to leave. It doesn't work that way these days. You, you've got to leave a lot. You can't work with guys as, as directly as you did because of the CBA. That's going to be different for him. So he's got to learn a way to manage and get his intensity or actually get his focus uh, to be absorbed uh, because he won't have as much time as he did in the past. Chatting with our friend Linky Kennedy, sideline analyst, Raiders Radio Network. You have a great vantage point on the field during the broadcast. So as you watch Carr this year, beyond the back injury, why do you think he took a step back statistically? They didn't give him enough options to me in, in the passing game. The passing game was extremely limited. They went for 50-50 balls. They went for stop routes, back shoulder throws. That was it. it was, you know, you look around the league, people run crossing rounds of digs left and right. Uh, and and it, was, it was very elementary. Uh, and I think that because he didn't have a number of options, he was left to force the ball in awkward places where it came up for turnovers, or he was waiting for somebody to get open. Uh, the the route running um, the, the, it wasn't you know the execution wasn't that great because the receivers weren't always getting a lot of separation. So he relied on Michael Crabtree to be because Michael Crabtree is more of an aggressive style receiver, especially with his hands. He 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 relied on Crabtree a whole lot, um, and then throwing up a lot of balls, just uh, you know fifty fifty balls. Amari Cooper were able to come up with them, but more times than not this season, they were also interceptions. Marshawn Lynch has come in this past season and, and, and kind of re, re-energized the community there in Oakland. Do you think Rich, um, John Gruden actually allows him to stay another year? That's a good question. I think there's going to be some tweeting because the personalities, I think, are just too far too different than Gruden. What I mean by that, if you take a look back what he did in, in, in Tampa Bay, I mean, he got rid of Warren Sapp. He got rid of Keyshawn Johnson. You know what I mean? He let those guys go because he thought he could do better elsewhere. I don't know if he's one to have an, an, out, an outgoing personality like a Marshawn Lynch uh, or a Crabtree or some of the other guys he has on this roster. He's going to have to tweak it because he's going to have to get players who can definitely buy into him. And there are a lot of guys that, that in the locker room who are doing their own thing. Marshawn is good for Oakland. I don't necessarily know if he's good for the Raiders. So they got to they evaluate. they got to do a lot of evaluating to do. Lincoln Kennedy is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. We know that the Raiders' defense allowed way too many big plays, but as we look at the talent level, beyond Khalil Mack, how many skilled players do you see on that side of the football? Is this something they have to upgrade through the process of the draft or making a splash in free agency? Well, they got to upgrade it through the draft like they did last year. The only bad part is that their top two draft picks didn't play. 
You know, so that, that that limits you when you're talking about building the foundation through the draft. I think, however, they need to use this first pick in the draft to go out there and get a linebacker. Um, and then, you know, you still have to help out in the secondary. Um, you're going to have to get uh, you're going to, have to get even another corner because Sean Smith was not what you wanted. You're going to probably parting ways with him. Um, so there's still a lot of work to do. This defense still has a lot of work to do, but it's got a good nucleus. I think Eddie Vanderdose played pretty well for his position. I think, you know, Mario Edwards Jr., Jr. when he's healthy, he can be suitable as a defensive tackle. But it's been a long time since the Raiders really had a, a defensive tackle who could really push the pocket. And I don't know if that's necessarily available in the draft, per se, haven't gotten to that part of evaluation. But I do think they, need to, they definitely need to get another linebacker to help Navarro Bowman in there. Hey Jack, we can all say Jack Darrell came in and had some success uh, with this team. Does John Gruden take him to the next level? Well, to find the next level. I mean, uh, the, the let's say is, get to the that, postseason and win a game. Well, okay. Well, the, the, the being realistic, I think they can they can win the division. I think this division is weak enough and inconsistent enough with the, the amount of turmoil that's going to happen in this offseason to where the Raiders can take that and win the division. Now, if you, I'm not going to say they're they're ready to go to Super Bowl, but it depends on how the playoffs fall. I mean, this is a team that's better suited to face somebody at home than, say, go on the road. I don't think they can, you know, the current setting situation, I don't think they can go to Pittsburgh and beat Pittsburgh. I don't think they can go to New England and beat New England. So we're talking about the upper tier of the AFC. I don't know where that puts them. They're going to have to win enough games to get a home game. If they win a division, they can do that. They're facing a wild card. Yeah, I think they can win one, one playoff game. Lincoln, great information as always. We appreciate the time. As we say goodbye, as a proud Washington alum and a member of the College Football Hall of Fame and a colleague of mine at Pac-12 Networks, I was trying to include Cordell in the Pac-12 family because Colorado joined our Conference of Champions. He said, whoa, 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 I'm a Big 8 guy. <laughs> hey, that's not come wrong, is now. it? Come on, come on with it. Come on over here. To, come on over to the Pac-12. Uh, well, I'm over, over there. I'm over, over there by default because I have no choice. But when it comes <laughs> down to what I've done, it goes back to the Big Eight, which I think those numbers now carry over to the Pac-12. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that what happens now? I, that I don't know. I, I'm not sure about that. But hey, that's I'll why think, I say Big Eight. Look, you're, you're welcome. You're, you're, the Buffs are welcome to part of the family. They put they put a couple <laughs> of lickings on us when we played them. So I know. Uh, I know they, they're, they're good stuff. We'll they're put it this way. When they have a Big 8 network, Cordell can work for them. You and I will That's stick right. with the Pac-12 <laughs> networks, all right? <laughs> Sounds good. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. It's a new year, and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017, from news and politics to true crime, comedy and history favorites we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone shows included dirty john s-town my favorite murder homecoming pod save america start your new year with these podcasts and more just search podcasts on tune in today welcome back to this week on nfl no huddle here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart Next on This Week on NFL No Huddle, former Titans general manager Floyd Reese is our guest. Floyd, thanks for taking the time. How are you? My pleasure. How are you guys? That's, we are doing uh, well. You, you played something there that Cordell hasn't even done. I don't think Cordell has completed a touchdown pass to himself. You're right. He's not made that kind of history. So let's see if the Titans can keep it going. We know, understandably, the Patriots are major favorites at home. If the Titans are going to pull off another upset tomorrow, what needs to happen other than Tom Brady throwing four interceptions? Yeah, that would certainly be a great start. We're going to have to go out and run the ball. We know that. I think they'll let us run the ball a little bit. 
Uh, what they do such a great job of is once you get down inside the 20, the red zone, they just cut you off. So if and if we're lucky enough to get down there, we're going to have to find a way to score touchdowns, um, you know, rather than field goals. And, you know, by doing that, hopefully we'll keep the ball away from Tom a little bit and he'll go out there and maybe, you know, throw us one or somebody will fumble one or something good will happen and it'll give you a break and, and give you a prayer. Lloyd, just going back to 2004, uh, when having an opportunity to see the late Steve McNair and Eddie George play the way they did, uh, give me your take with Derrick Henry, who's another big back, and a Marcus Mariota, who's a big quarterback, has an arm, but not as elusive and, and good throwing the football as Steve McNair. Give me your take on what they need to do on offense to be able to control this game a little bit better than it may seem from the outside looking and knowing what they do on offense in New England. You know, what we have seen in the last couple of games, which have really been marked difference from the, the two before that, you know, we lost to Arizona and San Francisco back-to-back and then turn around and, and beat a couple of pretty good teams, um, you know, in Jacksonville and Kansas City. The biggest difference in those games was Marcus winning with the football. And you know better than anyone that um, that – the ability to do that, it doesn't necessarily mean you're running for touchdowns, but you are running enough to be a pain in the butt. You know, I mean, the, the defense doesn't like it. The pass rushers don't like it. The, defense, the defensive coordinators don't like it. Uh, and it allows you to get first downs and just kind of keep the thing moving. Uh, that's, what, that's what Marcus has been able to do. Now, the young running back, Derek, I mean, he's, he, he came down, turned in the performance of his career so far last week. Uh, he's a big, strong back and and looked a little bit more like Eddie George. It was funny because early, he kept, you know how uh, DeMarco will kind of run upright? Well, mm-hmm. Derek, I mean, um, Derek was starting to do that. Well, last week, he turned in to Eddie George, and he had the body room and and, you know, we're hitting the small creases and gaining yards. So hopefully that's what we'll see from now on. Floyd Reese is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Floyd, Mike Malorkey got the good news over the weekend. He's coming back next season as head coach. But do you anticipate some changes could be made in the offseason, either to the offensive coaching staff or to the approach on that side of the football? You know, I, I don't know. That'll, that'll surely be up to Mike. Now, I'll say this one thing about Mike. He does not hesitate to make a change if indeed he feels like a change needs to be made. Uh, in the last two years, he, he may have played two of his best friends uh, in the coaching profession. You know, Bobby April was one who had been with him in Buffalo, uh, was a special teams coordinator, and, and Mike just didn't like the way it was going, so he made the move. So he's not afraid to do it if, in fact, he senses that it needs to be done. I don't know what they're thinking right now. I personally believe that that a combination of of bad start, injuries, uh, you know, rookie receivers not being prepared for the regular season, and really just not great performance out of our offensive line for much of the early year, early season was was at least a part, if not a majority of the problem. Well, when you look at this this offense, it has a tendency to look a little flat and bland at times. You know, like there's no flair, uh, sometimes no excitement, just basic old, you know, 
North Pole type football. We're just going to run it. We're just going to grind it. And this is the way it's going to be all the way to the bitter end because we see what Derrick Henry does in the fourth quarter. As this as this season moves forward, and hopefully this team gets an opportunity to get further into the postseason, what do you see them having to do next season to make this offense to be a little bit more, let's just say, uh, uh, exciting, uh, to say the least? You know, the problem was we, the quarterback and the receivers were not coordinated. They were not well-timed, well-groomed. Uh, they just... Uh, you know, young rookie fifth round uh, fifth choice um, was hurt, missed all of those APAs, missed them all, missed all the off season camps, missed all of camp. Got in the season, played like a week or so, got hurt again. Uh, so he really didn't get on the field till you know I don't know maybe week nine, ten, eleven in there. Well, consequently, by the time he gets on the field, as you well know, I mean they're just not timed up. It's not tuned in. I think that has kind of affected everything. You know, Marcus got to the point where he was a little bit reluctant. He wanted to he wanted to see the break. He wanted to see him open before he would throw it. Well as you well know by that time it's too late. And uh, and because he wasn't just you know positive where these guys were gonna go and when they were gonna make their breaks, all the timing was just shot. So I think that affected everything. You know, I think what they really need is a good offseason with an established group of receivers that just work every single day. And as you know, go through the fine details, you know, fine-tune everything so that, uh, you know, when you enter camp next year, it's not learning. It's not waiting for somebody. It's not slowing down the progress of everybody else because of one or two guys. We're focusing on the Titans as they get set to take on the Patriots tomorrow with Floyd Reese, former Tennessee GM. Floyd, is it just an intriguing stat that the Titans have a negative point differential? They've been outscored this year, or does this team have some real issues on defense? You know, strangely enough, the defense has really played well. Uh, they've had two bad games. They played poorly against Pittsburgh, and they played poorly in the first Houston game. Uh, but the two games I told you that, that we had lost, against Arizona and San Francisco, we lost two games. They gave up one touchdown in both for a total. So, you know, they have not given up a lot of points. Um, they, they really have been considering the, the newly put-together secondary with a rookie and with Logan Ryan, who's a veteran player, but certainly not with this team. Um, you know, then you bring in a Cyprian at the other safety, and and there's just a lot of new faces in there, but they've kind of, you know, worked and worked and got themselves to the point where they could go out and perform uh, on a decent basis. So, I, I mean, I really, for the most part of the season, have been uh, fairly pleased with what the defense has done with, with less than, you know, maybe ideal personnel across the board. Lord, no one's talking about special teams and, and talking about a Dory Jackson and how impactful that part of the game can be uh, when it comes down to maybe this this offense struggling, maybe in this defense struggling. Can he be be an impactful player when it comes down to this postseason game? Because no one's really talking about it right now. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, statistically, if you look at our special teams, they're, they're really pretty good. Um, and, and New England's are pretty good. Uh, 
our, our punter and our kicker really are solid. Adore will kind of take your breath away when he gets the ball. You know, it's one of those you just, <laughs> what's going to happen kind of thing. And, uh, and he, is, he is truly gifted. Uh, broke a couple early in the season, had them both call back. And really, you know, other than that, it's maybe been a 40-yard return, a 45-yard return here. Not that, you know, that game winner that we're going to need, but he certainly is capable. Uh, and I think people realize that. Consequently, people are, you know, it's they're, they're okay with going ahead and putting it out of bounds. Marcus Mariota has been known to be really quiet and to himself, um, but yet he plays like he's a, a guy with a big, big voice. What truly makes him tick from what you've seen, uh, whether it be via the, the media uh, and you guys talking to him or just seeing him at practice? You know, he is one of those guys, Cordell, that never says the wrong thing. You know, he's been well-schooled. Uh, he understands his position. He understands his responsibility. is very good at, at all of that. That being said, I'm not sure that it wouldn't do everybody a little bit of good if he were to be a little bit more boisterous. And I think we saw that last two weeks. We saw a little bit more of, of him going up and down the benches and, you know, congratulating guys or, or sticking guys up or whatever there may be. So I think that's important for him to do, and I think he's getting better at all that. You're listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle, and we'll be back with another great interview right after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Hollywood Earth. and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. Welcome back to This Week on NFL No Huddle. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out this week on NFL No Huddle, let's visit with former Patriots tight end Jermaine Wiggins. Jermaine, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We are doing, doing well. well. That's good. Getting ready for playoff football. We got going on here. Well, does this game even count, Jermaine? Because we are comprehensive with our analysis. Cordell's all in with the Titans because of his relationship with Mike Malarkey. But everyone we've been chatting with in New England almost views this as a glorified scrimmage. And let's get it on with Pittsburgh coming up next week in the AFC title game. Well, you know, us as fans, we we, we feel like, you know, this game's not going to be close. When you think about what the Patriots do, when you think about what Tennessee does, uh, yeah, we're kind of like, we're, we're not looking past them, but we're like, all right, let's get to the game and let's do take care of business as fans because I don't think this game is going to be close. Um, as far as playing Pittsburgh next week, I, I'm not sure about that one. they got to get by Jacksonville first. Jermaine, we know the, the, the Patriots have a, a tendency to do it better than most for us being able to stay focused on the moment and getting prepared for what's going to happen in the future. But what we've known so far over the last five games, Tom Brady hasn't been playing the best football. He's thrown six touchdowns, five interceptions. If this offense of this Tennessee Titans football team can be methodical and keep them on the bench, does that hinder them from having a chance to be as effective as we know they can possibly be? 
No, because when you look at Tennessee's offense, I mean, you think about, you look at the year that Mariota had. He hasn't really had a good year. He's not throwing the ball well. He has more uh, more interceptions than he has touchdowns. And if they want to run the football and get to this whole, you know, everybody's talking about eat up the clock, eat up the clock. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy. But the problem is you got to be able to score touchdowns. And that's the one thing that the Titans struggle at. You know, when they get down in the red zone, they're not just going to be able to turn and hand it to Henry no more. You're going to have to put the ball in the end zone. And they're not going to be able to do that. What's going to happen is that Tom is going to get on the field with that offense, and we see what this offense will do, go down the field. So even if they kick a field goal, Pat score a touchdown at 7-3, now that changes the game plan a little bit. All it takes is, Cordell, you know better than anybody else, all it takes is when you run the football to get you know, one rush on first down, you maybe get a yard or you're, uh, you lose a yard. Now you're sitting there at second and nine or second and 11. Completely changes your outlook on running the football on second down. Jermaine Wiggins is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Jermaine, since you're from East Boston, you played for the Patriots. It's all about mm-hmm. New England pride. What do you make of the ESPN report a week ago that all the big names within the Patriots are denying, but you know the allegations. There is friction within the organization. Is this all fake news? What do you think? This is all what, uh, yeah, we like to call it here, uh, fake news. It's all nonsense because when you think about the whole Guerrero story, we knew that going into it. We knew that the relationship between Guerrero and Brady and Belichick was a little bit different because uh, Belichick didn't want a guy down there undermining his staff. So we knew that. As far as the other stuff where Brady went to uh, Robert Kraft and said, trade Garoppolo, and Belichick says he'll never, you know, he'll never trade Garoppolo, that's all nonsense. And, and as Pats fans and people who are around us, we know that that's a fabrication. Brady wants to be called sir. Brady's upset because he didn't get Patriots player of the week. That's all nonsense, and that's how we viewed that story because there was no sources. It was all, you know, hearsay. There was no fact in there, and that's the biggest thing. When you're the Patriots and you've been so successful for so many years, everybody's gunning for you, and they'll do it in every way because they want to see they want to see your organization crumble. You mean I would love to expand the conversation just a little bit because you didn't you didn't just play for the New England Patriots. You also played with the Minnesota Vikings. And watching that team with the little time that you may have or you may have watched him uh, in an extended time, um, Case Keenum and this defense and this offense, they're playing some of the type of football that you would love to be playing this time of year. How much confidence do you have in what they've been able what they've been able to do, but most importantly, how Case Keenum has been playing? Well, I think he's been playing well. The thing, the reason why he's able to play well is when you look at Minnesota, I mean, I would probably say Minnesota's got the best defense out of all the playoff teams that are left. So now Case Keenum, he doesn't have to go out there and force the issue. And I think that's the biggest thing. When you're a quarterback and you're in a position where the team does not want you to go out there and do too much, when you have a defense like Minnesota and you don't have to force the issue, the game becomes easier for you because now he knows, hey, listen, if I play smart, if I do the right thing, I don't put our team in a bad predicament here, I know defensively we're going to be able to make some plays. And all i got to do is make those plays out of there on offense rather than trying to force things in and trying to do too much. And I think that's the thing with Minnesota when you see how Case Keenum has been playing. He knows that defense is, is tremendous, and he knows all i got to go out is don't turn the football over and make good decisions. Chatting with Jermaine Wiggins. He's our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Jermaine, we know at this stage of the season there are no perfect teams, so while the Patriots have a comprehensive approach, what do you think their weakness could be if they have one? Well, I think the weaknesses, and we've seen this before, is – if they're not able to protect Brady, then what happens is 
that's when we see issues with the Patriots. And we, if you look at some of those, uh, those, those, those interceptions that he threw in the last, you know, five or six games of the, uh, the regular season, it's about teams getting pressure on him, making him feel uncomfortable back there. And if you can do that and you can affect Brady like that, then that's going to make him be in a position where he presses the issue, he tries to do too much, and that's what leads to some of the bad decision-making. If they can protect him, um, which they were doing most of the season, then that's when you see Brady at his best. But anybody who played the position, Cordell will tell you this, when you're a quarterback and you're worried about that pressure, things get a little bit different in that pocket. Yeah, it does. It doesn't look as friendly. Let's just say that, Jermaine. Nope. <laughs> uh, but speaking of friendly, uh, it hasn't been too friendly on the edge uh, for this defense throughout the entire season, but you end up grabbing uh, James Harrison, who ended up giving you in a small sample size against the Jets, five tackles, uh, two sacks, and one fumble recovery. How big of an impact you think he'll be able to make to be able to shore up the edge and not allow anything on the outside? Well, I mean, I think that he can definitely have an impact. We've seen Bill bring guys in before um, that have contributed. You know, you've seen it with uh, Lee, who can't we they got from Buffalo's practice squad. But when you look at Harrison, I, I definitely believe he's still got some gas in the tank, a guy that can set the edge, especially against a team like uh, Tennessee that wants to run the football. The biggest thing is if you can set the edge and you make the, those teams run up the middle, things get a little bit more difficult. But if, if teams are able to offensively establish the edge and get their – running back and get a guy like Henry outside, put on some of those corners and safety, it, it, could, it could make things tough for the Patriots. Um, but you got a guy like Harrison that might have an opportunity to get in there and take advantage of that, get some reps and make when it comes to setting that edge and being stout right, right at the point of attack. Jermaine, as a former tight end, you have to appreciate the impact Rob Gronkowski's had this year. I think Tom Brady's going to win the league MVP award. He's going to get more votes than Todd Gurley of the Rams. But if we're just talking about the team MVP in New England, do you think Gronk has been that player? I mean, Gronk is definitely, in my opinion, he's, he's by far the best tight end in the NFL right now. I wouldn't necessarily say he's the team MVP because we've seen the Patriots win a Super Bowl without him last year. Obviously, when you talk about the Patriots and their MVP, we all know it's Tom Brady. But putting Brady aside, when you talk about Gronkowski, you have a guy that that's, that's as big as him, as athletic as him, and has great body control. It's so difficult to defend this Patriots offense, and he's healthy moment into this playoff, and I think that's going to be the difference when you look at the Patriots and being able to win these games by 10, 14 points is because you have a guy like Gronkowski and his ability to take advantage of the middle of the field, his ability to line him up wide, go one-on-one, throw it up against smaller DBs or safeties, or just outrun linebackers. When you look at the National Football League and you look at the quarterback position, majority of times the most favorable player at that position is the backup. We know who the starter is. Everyone glorifies him. But we know the backup is, is the most viable one and the most needed one at times. When you look at Philadelphia, they have Nick Foles. We're assuming that he's going to play good because he's been in his system for a while. Case Keenum, we've seen what he's done filling in for Sam Bradford. But you guys there in New England. You're now stuck with Brian Hoyer and you don't have Jimmy Garoppolo. How big of a loss of not having, how big of a loss is it not having Jimmy Garoppolo in the, in the lineup if something were to happen to Tom Brady? Well, I mean, it's obviously a loss when you look at Garoppolo and what he's been able to do and the type of player that he potentially could be. But we are, we're a little bit more realistic up here in New England. We know that when you talk about Tom Brady, if he goes down, can the Pats rip? 
Tom Brady, it's going to be extremely difficult whether you have uh, whether you have Garoppolo or whoever back there. But to, to lose a player like Garoppolo, it it was in, it was at that time. I mean, the, the kid's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, you're not going to franchise tag him when Brady still hasn't shown any sign of slowing down. He knows that. Listen, you got guys like. Derek Carr making $25 million a year and Matthew Stafford making $27 million a year. And everybody expects Garoppolo to be the next big thing. So why would he sit behind Brady? Why would he stay here? And if you're the Patriots, you know you can't keep two quarterbacks and you're not moving on from Tom Brady. So you got to give Jimmy G the chance to go somewhere else and you got to try to get something back for him. And I think that's ultimately what the Pats did. And, you know, knock on wood, if something would happen to Brady, I mean, I think that... <laughs> It would, be, it would be all she wrote anyways, whether you had Garoppolo or not. Thank you, Jermaine. We appreciate Thanks. the insights. Enjoy the game this weekend. Not a problem. You guys have a good one. Take care. Thank you for listening to This Week on NFL No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on the NFL on TuneIn. The National Football League is on TuneIn.